but I'm very thankful for them. And uh, God is using them in so many ways, even in my life for sure. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles, if you would, and find your way to John chapter 15. John 15. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles in front of you. You can find the fourth gospel, the gospel of John, on page 40, on 848. And our desire is that you would follow along to see what God has to say. My, my prayer today is that he would have a lot to say to you. Well, last week we introduced our new series, Kingdom Relationships, with a message tiled, titled, Hitting the Target. I titled it because certain Christians, if they're not careful, aim at the wrong target. They go after the target of activity, the target of knowledge. We talked about the fact that Christianity is not about activity or knowledge, but it's about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus was all about relationships. We talked about there were three key relationship groups that he dealt with. First, his relationship with the Father. Read John chapter 17 this week, his high priestly prayer. You see his relationship. Read uh, um, or Mark chapter 1 or Mark chapter 1 verse 35. It says Jesus would go off into the wilderness and pray. He spent time with the Father. Second group was with his disciples. He spent three years with them, sitting around fires, talking, teaching, listening. And they had a relationship with the world, the world around him, the world that didn't know him, but he had a compassion for them. He saw that they were harassed and he had compassion upon them. And we stated this, that if, if the life of Jesus was all about relationships then the life of a Jesus follower should be all about relationships. In Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus was asked what is the great, first and greatest commandment, Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is the first and greatest commandment. We talked about the fact that he is our primary and first and foremost relationship, but the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't get the vertical right, the horizontal is not going to be right. You've got to get right with the Lord in your relationship with him so you can get your relationships around you right. But yet here's where things break down for many Christians. They might have a tepid relationship with the Lord. There's not a hunger and a thirst for him. And as a result, they could become spiritually malnourished. That may be some of you. They may have received the truth of Jesus. They may feel good about their security uh, of their salvation. But that might be the extent of it. Yet Jesus says, follow me. He says, he says come to me. He says, abide in me. He wants us to be with him. To spend time with him. Let me ask you. Does your heart cry out like David in Psalm 42? Where he says, as a deer pants for flowing streams of water, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? 
Or how about the psalmist in Psalm 84 when he says, how lovely is your dwelling place. And then he says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Do you believe that? See, in his courts, it speaks of the courts of Jerusalem, close to the presence of God. Is your desire to be in his presence? Paul said this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul, his, his desire was just to be him, to, to be with him, to know him. I said last week, Pam and I have been married for 32 years. We spend a lot of time with a lot of other people. And sometimes we just want to be with each other. Spend time with each other. In each other's presence. Do we have a desire to be in the Lord's presence? Just to be with him. To hear from him. Listen to what Psalm 105.4 says. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. The big idea for today's message is this. An impactful and fruitful relationship requires time. It requires time. If we're called, the first command, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, but we don't spend time with him, we really have no relationship with him. An impactful and fruitful relationship requires time. Ha try having a really fruitful relationship with your spouse and never spend any time with them. Or maybe you want to spend, you want to have a great relationship with your child and you never spend time with them or with a parent or a, or a friend. An impactful and fruitful relationship requires time. And see, if we aren't spending time, then we default to religion, activity, knowledge. We, we think, I'm just going to do all these things for God. Christianity is not about religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. When you read the Gospels, you see the disciples spent time with him. They were changed by spending time with Jesus. In fact, you get to John chapter 13. It's the night in which he was betrayed. In fact, chapter 13 all the way to 17 is just like that final night. It's like John just slows everything down and takes a step by step about what it was like that night. And we see that Jesus calls his disciples into the upper room and he washes their feet. Now, imagine you were there and Jesus, he says, take off your sandals and he starts washing your feet. And then he institutes the, the Lord's Supper. This is the Passover. And he gives you the bread and he says, take, eat. This is my body, which is for you. And then he says, take drink. This is my blood. This represents my blood, which is going to be poured out for you. And, and then he says, a new commandment I give you, that you are to love one another. As I, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
And then in chapter 14, he tells them that he's going to depart, that he's going to leave them. But he says, let not your heart be troubled because he's reminding them, I'm coming back for you. But he says he's, gonna, he's, he's not going to leave them orphans, that he's going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to be in them and with them for relationship. And he comforts them in chapter 14, verse 27, where he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. He says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's got to be a heavy moment for these disciples. And then he says in verse 31, rise, let us go from here. And then we see the words in chapter 15. And they would have left that upper room. They would have left the temple courts. They would have gone out. And they would have seen certain scenes that are very familiar they were come upon a vineyard. Now, some of you know John chapter 15. Some of you have even heard me preach John 15. But what I'm going to encourage you to do is approach it with fresh eyes and with an open heart. How is God speaking to you today? John 15 verse 1, he says, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus may have been holding a vine in his hand as he's sharing this. He's giving us insights into how to have a vital relationship with him. Let's look at what some of these insights are. First, the source of my relationship, Jesus. The source of my relationship is Jesus. Verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. When he says, I am the true vine... Most Jews would have known from the Old Testament that Jerusalem, or that, yeah, that Jerusalem was considered God's vine. But his vine had become degenerate, it had become wild, it had become useless. And so now Jesus says, I am the true vine. I'm the true vine. In fact, this is the last of his seven I am statements. And he says, and my father is the vine dresser. 
God the Father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener that dresses and prunes and cares for the vines. Why? That they bear more fruit. And we learn in chapter, in chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. So this picture of the point he's trying to get across starts to come into clarity. He says, I'm the true vine. I'm the vine. You are the branches. My father is the vine dresser. We can't have a vital relationship with God the Father without a relationship with God the Son. We have to be connected to the Son. And and if you look at verse 3, actually verse uh, 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. I'm going to explain this in a couple minutes. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And then he says this, already you are clean. Now, if you hear that, you might be thinking, he had just said, Minutes ago in chapter 13, when Peter said, no, wash my whole body. And and Jesus says, I don't need to wash your body. You've already been cleansed. I'm just going to wash your feet, take care of your sin issue. And the fact is, we can't have a relationship apart from Jesus cleansing us of our sins. That's what he's pointing to. There is no relationship with God without a relationship with Jesus. How many of you take supplements? Raise your hand. It's okay. It's not sin. It's okay to take supplements. Pam and I take a lot of supplements. And and, uh, you you take supplements to add to your health, I guess. A lot of them just get washed away, right? But we supplement our diets with supplements. Sometimes that's how we approach Jesus. Jesus. He's just a supplement. But here we see that Jesus is our source. He's the source to our relationship. And we're going to see that here in a minute. We can have no relationship apart from the work of Jesus on the cross. So Jesus is the source of my relationship. But secondly, the empowering of my relationship is abiding. It's abiding. Look at verse 4. He says, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, six different times we're called to be fruitful in this passage, to bear fruit. We're never commanded to bear fruit. There's only one command in this passage. It's abide. We are called to be vitally connected to Jesus, to abide in the vine. What does abide mean? It means to continue, to remain, or to dwell. The empowering of my relationship with Jesus has to do with the verb abide and the preposition in. Abide in me, he says. Abide in me. What is Jesus emphasizing? Our relationship to him our connection to him. Yet so many of us focus on the fruit. But Jesus says, abide. Abide in me. It's a command. It's in the imperative. 
And when the branch is vitally connected to the vine, when I'm vitally connected to Jesus through prayer, through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, something supernatural happens. You know what that is? Fruit. Fruit happens. Which leads to the next insight. The evidence of my relationship is fruitfulness. The evidence of my relationship is fruitfulness. Notice again verse 4. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This would have been so clear to the disciples. A branch laying on the ground, disconnected to the vine, is never going to produce fruit. It just won't happen. The only branches that that are going to produce fruit have to be connected to the vine. Jesus is making that very clear here. In fact, what is fruit? It's the life of the vine being pressed out through the branches. Some of you may have orange trees in your yard. And you maybe have roof rats too. But you may have orange trees. What type of fruit do orange trees produce? Oranges. Because those branches are connected to an orange tree. Some of you might have grapefruits or or lemons. Few may have apples. But fruit is the life of the vine being lived out through the branches. Vance Pittman in his book, Unburdened, he talks about this. And, and the fact is you can't, be, you can't produce fruit, spiritual fruit, unless you're connected to the vine. How do we produce spiritual fruit? We hang on to the vine. We cling to the vine. Look at verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. He would have been looking at his disciples when, when he was talking to them. I am the vine. You are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. And then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Was he saying that we can't tie our shoes? We can't put on a shirt or a sweater. No, he's saying you can't do anything of spiritual value. Nowhere are we commanded to bear fruit. What are we commanded to do? Abide, dwell, remain in. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burnt. That's pretty ominous, isn't it? Now, it sounds a little bit familiar than what, than what was said in verse to what was said in verse 2. But they're different. Notice what he says in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But down in verse 6, it says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away. So, every branch in me abiding, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That translation is also he lifts up. It's what the vine dresser does. It's, it's he sees the, the, the branch down in the dirt, but it's connected to the vine. So what he does is he gently pulls it up out of the dirt. Some of you may be 
need to be pulled up out of the dirt. He brushes it off. He cleans it off. He, he, he probably connects it somehow to the arbor. Why? So it will bear fruit. But notice in verse 6 it says, if anyone does not abide in me. Like there's no abiding. Verse 2, there is abiding. He's thrown away. Like a branch and withers and, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. You know, we live for about six months here in Phoenix with no bulk trash pickup. Can I get an amen? And then they picked it up. Can we get a praise? You know, and, and, and so, but all these branches that were sitting there for months, taken off, burned, useless branches. That's what Jesus is saying here. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. Listen, if you're not in Christ, if you're not abiding, that is your eternal destiny. This is where you don't want to mess around. Verse 2 says, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away or he lifts up. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So there may not be some fruitfulness in your life, but you're connected to the vine, but not vitally connected to the vine. So what's he going to do? He's going to prune you. How many people love to be pruned? Yeah, so it's like a haircut. Speak for yourself. We don't have many hairs here to cut. But when, when Pam and I, one of the things we learned when we moved to Phoenix in 2008, things grow really fast here. And somebody told us early on, you need to have your trees trimmed like before June. Because if you don't, when the monsoon season comes, and if you've not, if you've not trimmed your trees, they can become like a big sail and knock over. And so I, I remember we had one house where we had some beautiful mesquite trees and and so we brought somebody in to prune them, and I'm like, he just took almost everything out of it. It looked like so severe, and I'm thinking, what are you doing? Like, that poor tree, it's never going to come back. But it came back prettier, more shapely, more fruitful. And that's what he's saying here. And, the, and, the, and there's, a, there's a goal here to not just bear fruit, but to bear more fruit. And then he says in verse 5, bear much fruit. Sometimes the Lord needs to lift us up and clean us off. Sometimes he needs to prune us. And if we're not connected to the vine, we'll be gathered and thrown into the fire. Judas was one such branch. Think about Judas. Spent three years with Jesus. Listened to his teachings. I'm sure he went to small group and he went to church. and He, he, did, all, he did all the right stuff. But he was never connected to the vine. And he was cast away. He didn't have a saving relationship. Evidence of my fruitfulness, evidence of my relationship is fruitfulness. But then how do we, how do we align our relationship? Well, the alignment for my relationship is God's word. It's God's word. We abide in Christ through his spirit and through prayer. Prayer is one of the ways we communicate with God. But also, we practically let Jesus abide in us as we let his word abide in us. Look at verse 7. Jesus says, again, remember, he's talking to his disciples. He's looking at them. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, all that I've said, all that I've spoken, abide in you. If they remain in you, if they dwell in you, 
ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now there's a verse that's been abused and misused. But he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. What are, what are Jesus' words right here? This is God's word. In the beginning was the word, the lagas. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. This is the lagas, God's written word. We let the word speak into our lives to be the authority in our lives, to saturate our lives. I use the same illustration over and over again, but I think it's so important. Once a week, maybe every two weeks, Pam and I grill chicken. You ever had a piece of chicken with no marinade and no salt or pepper and you just grill it? How's it taste? Kind of like the bottom of your shoe, but maybe more tender unless you overcook it. But we like to marinate it, and we get, like, Italian dressing. And, you know, if you, if you put it in the marinade for, like, a couple minutes and throw it on the grill, what happens to the marinade? It just burns off. But if you marinate for, like, three hours, that marinade starts to get into the chicken. But if you marinate it overnight, oh, it's going to be a great piece of chicken. See, it's the idea of us marinating in God's word, saturating in God's word. See, when we abide in Christ and, abide in, and Christ abides in us, his word abides in us. He's not a silent guest. He's, he has something to say to us. And then when his words abide in us, we then respond to them as if they're authoritative and sufficient. Some people might say, well, what if they go against what the culture says? Well, they will. But we need to be more concerned about what God says and his word than what the culture says. It's so important. See, when you align yourself with God's word, then all of a sudden your thoughts, your actions, your prayers align with the God of the word. So that's why he can say Ask whatever you wish. And guess what you're asking? You're not asking for Rolls Royce. You're asking for what glorifies God. You're asking how you can be used for him. You're, you're praying for souls. Let the word abide in you. Were the disciples fruitful? Absolutely. Absolutely. They spent time hearing God's word. Look what Mark, 13, Mark 3, 13 and 14 says. It says, he went up on the mountain, he being Jesus, and called to him those whom he desired. That's the calling. And they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles. So Jesus is up on the mountain. He calls them to himself. Why? So they might be with him. I underlined that. So they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach. His desire was to be with them, to, to abide in him, to hear his words. And then he's sending them out to preach. He's not doing it based on, okay, let's, let's see how fruitful you can be. Just go do whatever you can do. Be with me, and I will be in you, and I will work through you. In fact, 
I didn't say this in the first service, but in, in John chapter 14, verse 13, just look, look at verse 11, John 14 and 11. He says, believe in me, or believe, I, he says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 12, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. And then he says this, whatever you ask in my name, this is the key, this I will do. Not this you will help, I will help you do, not this you will do, but this I will do. See, it's when he's abiding in us, he's working in us so he can work through us. See, so often we think we've got something to add to God. We don't. We need to allow him to work in us so he can work through us. That's why abiding is so important. Verse 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. It's being aligned with him. You can't know God's will if you don't know God's word. Let me ask you, do you know God's word? Because you spend time in it. You go to God's word to be with him, to commune with him, to hear from him, to be changed by him, to be aligned with him. Which now brings us to the fifth insight for a vital relationship, and that's the results of my relationship. God's glory and our joy. God's glory and our joy. If I were to ask you if you wanted to live a life that brings glory to God, how many of you would say yes? So how does that happen? Well, Jesus tells us. Look at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified. There it is. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So the way we glorify God is by bearing fruit. How do we bear fruit? We abide. You cannot bear fruit, spiritual fruit, apart from abiding in Christ. Jesus makes it clear. You want to glorify me? Abide. Why? So you can bear fruit. And then notice what it says. And so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my commands. And not only is God glorified and you prove to be his disciples, but it brings you joy. God's joy. Look at 10 and 11. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. That my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. And that word full, it's full to overflowing. See, there's great joy in spending time with Jesus. Because through spending time with Jesus... We're abiding in the vine, and as a result, there's fruit. And that fruitfulness glorifies God. And through that fruitfulness that glorifies God, we receive his joy, and that joy overflows to those around us. Now, joy is different than happiness. See, happiness depends upon our circumstances. Joy is a deep, settled inner pleasure that comes from our assurance and confidence in our relationship with Christ. That's why Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. 
Now, I'm kind of making a turn. Some of you might be thinking, I don't feel close to the Lord. I don't know how to abide. How do I move from this religion of lists of do's and don'ts to a relationship? And you know, you're not alone. Timothy struggled. He was a pastor in the church of Ephesus. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 6, after Paul has talked about, he says, I want to remind you of the faith that you had that was passed down from your mother and your grandmother. He says, for this reason, I might remind you to fan into flame. He wants you to fan into flame, Timothy, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You need to fan into flame that faith. You have that faith, but it's kind of starting to peter out. We, we have, a, we have a, an outdoor fire pit. We love it. And, and, you know, sometimes we have to throw more logs on it. And if, if, if logs get separated from it, sometimes they just, like, they die out. So how do you fan into flame? How do you fan the flame of faith? Well, let me give you first some ways not to fan the flame of faith. Watching cable news for hours at a time. That will not fan the flame of faith in you. No matter how much you hope it does. Let me tell you what else doesn't fan the flame of faith. Scrolling social media. Somebody said this morning they forgot their phone. They said, I'm fasting today. Now, some of us need to fast a lot more because I'm telling you, when you, if you start adding up the amount of hours, it's, it's, and it's just, it doesn't fan the flame of faith. How about sports? Like there's a lot of good football games on today and you can watch them all day and guess what it's not going to do? It's not going to fan the flame of faith in you. For sure. But now tomorrow night the Cowboys are on, then you can watch. Philadelphia fans are not happy with that comment. It could be fantasy football. It could be gaming. It could be video games. It could be pornography. It could be YouTube. It could be the cares of the world, the worries about tomorrow. And many of those things in and of themselves, other than pornography and a couple of things, are, are not sinful. But they're time killers. See, relationship comes down to one word. Time. Quality time or quantity time, Bill? Yes. But then what's the number one objection? I don't have time. Anybody ever said, don't raise your hand, but has anybody ever said that before? I just don't have time. But if you were to add up the amount of hours you spend a week on social media, Pinterest, uh, um, TikTok, if you were... The, the time you spend on TV, watching videos, watching video games, sports, procrastinating. You add it all up. Realize these things, they, they may be good things, but they're not, they're keeping you from the best things. God forgive us for that. 
See, it's keeping us from loving the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And because we're not getting our vertical right, the horizontal struggling. Most people would be shocked at how much time they're burning a day. It's kind of like when, when we do budgeting with people, we, we say, okay, keep, we used to say Starbucks, but now like keep track of, how, you know, of all your receipts from like Dutch Bros. I can't believe I'm spending $300 a month on sugar and milk and a little bit of coffee. And it's like, it's just like how much, like when you start tracking it, you realize, man, I can't believe this is going on. What if you were to just take the total, let's say it was two hours a day, wasting time. Doesn't feel like you're wasting, but just track it. That's 14 hours a week. What if you were to take half of that? Seven hours a week for the Lord, abiding. We're called to redeem the time. Look what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 15. He says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. We are called to be wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Are you making the best use of the time? So how do we fan the flame of faith? It's through time. Now, I'm going to give you seven ways, and please don't take this as a list of to-dos and don'ts. This is, to, this is to turn your heart back towards the Lord, to get you in a right vertical relationship with the Lord. Don't let it just be a head thing, be it a heart thing. Fan the flame of faith through time, reading God's word. You knew I was going to say that. Listen to what Hebrews 4.12 says. For the word of God is living and active. Meaning, like as you're reading it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to speak to you today. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's going to unwrap your heart. It's going to help you see where you are. It's, a, it's like a mirror. It, it's living and active. Now, I love devotionals, but devotionals aren't living and active. Don't replace your time in God's word with devotionals, supplement them. Have a reading plan. Have a place. Have a pen. Make an appointment. In my email to the church these last couple of weeks, I've, down at the bottom of the email, I know you all are reading them voraciously, but I put a section in there where you can, where you can get a plan. Some of you just laugh nervously. Fan the flame through time, reading God's word. Secondly, in prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is communication with God. It's talking to God. You can't do that apart from time. Now, we're called to pray without ceasing. I think we, we read that with Pastor Dustin's uh, quote up there. But there's times where you just want to go into your prayer closet and pray. It's a time to be honest with the Lord. To cry out to the Lord. One of the things I'm going to challenge you is to pray the scriptures. There's a guy named Donald Whitney. He's, on, he's, a, he's a professor at Southern Seminary. He wrote a great little book called Praying the Scriptures. I learned a lot from that. And I'm going to put up Psalm 63. And there's a lot of ways to pray the scriptures, but I'm just going to give you a little bit of an insight on one way to do it. If I'm praying this passage, I might pray it like this. 
God, I'm once again reminded that you're my God. And God, in this moment, I'm earnestly seeking you. Forgive me for the times that I haven't. God, my soul thirsts for you. Kind of like when I'm preaching and I'm thirsty. Or when I'm outside, my, my flesh faints for you as, a, as, a, as a, in a day where, where there's no water. But Lord, in those times, I look upon your sanctuary, sanctuary where you are. And I, I understand your power and your glory, Lord. And Lord, I'm here to admit that your steadfast love is better than life. I don't always live like that, Lord, but right now I'm, I'm confessing that. And because of that, I'm going to praise you, Lord. And Lord, my desire is to praise you as long as I live. And I'm going to worship and praise you. Let's go to the next slide. And Lord, right now I'm looking to satisfy myself in you. My soul will be satisfied as rich food. It's a nice steak, Lord. <laughs> and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember, when I'm struggling, laying in bed, and, and I've got anxiety, and I'm worried about tomorrow, and, and I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to make sure that I remember that you are my help. Lord, I am under the shadow of your wings, and, and I'm just going to rest in that. And as a result, I'm going to sing for joy. Father, my soul clings to you right now. And I know that you're upholding me with your righteous right hand. Pray back the scriptures to the Lord. It's amazing what that does. Because sometimes we don't know how to pray. Just pray the scriptures. Cry out to God for God to give you a hunger and thirst for him. Third, fan the flame through time in worship, both corporate and personal. See, sometimes... We get so consumed with the things of the world, we just need to, we need to kind of just get rid of that stinking thinking and just like turn our hearts back to the Lord. When you read the Psalms, you see, you see sometimes these Psalms of a lament and they're, they're crying out to God because of what they're struggling with, but then, but yet I will trust in you. You see a turn where they just start crying out to God. They, they start turning to God and, 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 and sometimes worship songs will do that to us. Some of you came in this morning, you weren't spiritually prepared, but by the time you, you got through that, that fourth song we were singing Tremble, like your hearts now were turned to the Lord. Here's what I would say to you. Don't wait to come to church for that. Spiritually prepare yourself day in and day out to face the world. Reflect on his attributes and his character. Listen to worship music. So, so make sure it's doctrinally sound worship music. Listen to messages. Third or fourth, preach the gospel to yourself. I think this is really important. Be reminded of God's love for you. Remember from where you have fallen, Revelation chapter 3. Remember who you were Prior to Christ, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, following the prince of the power of the air. But God, being rich in mercy with the great love with which he loved you, he saved you. That's why John three sixteen is so important. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. He saved you. Remember that. Don't forget that. That, that, that changes you from the inside out. So all of a sudden it's like, I don't have this list of do's and don'ts. I'm just worshiping God. I love God. 
I'm seeking his face. Fifth, reading. Reading. I like to read a lot of different things. But what fans the flame of faith in my life is reading biographies of strong Christian men and women. I, I wrote a list, just four books that I looked at. Some of them I read through this week. If you've not read The Pursuit of God by Tozer, I would encourage you to read it. Great book. Pursuit of God. Passion Cry by Robbie Simons. Robbie's pastoring a church in Oakville, Ontario, a, a suburb of, of Toronto. It's Hope Bible Church of, of uh, Oakville. And this book, Passion Cry, rocked my world. Chuck Swindoll has a little book called Intimacy with the Almighty. He talks about how he's, as a pastor, struggled with intimacy and how what he's done at times to get back in a right intimate relationship with him. And then Valley of Vision. These are some Puritan prayers and devotions. Again, these don't replace your time in the Word, but they supplement. And these are four books that really turn your heart back to the Lord. Six, communication. Communicating with others. Talk about how God's working in your life. Ask people how God's working in their lives. What did they read that day? Accountability. It's like put logs on the fire. This is where, this is where community and small groups are so important. And I'm going to be talking about that in depth more uh, next week. But again, if you're not plugged into a small group, talk to, talk to Johannes or, 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 or email smallgroups at hopebibleaz.org. We want to get you plugged in where you can communicate so you're fanning the flame of faith in your life. And then finally, seventh. Beyond mission, serve. See, so serving Christ with others, it's, again, it's not just a to-do, but all of a sudden you see God working. It could be through neighborhood ministries, a great ministry that some of our, our small groups are going to start going down to and serve at. Or it could be with the Choices Pregnancy Center. We've been involved with them almost since we started Hope. Uh, it could be the uh, Christian Family Care for those that are interested in helping those that are fostering and adopting or it could be just going to the school next door to us and say, heck, can I serve? An impactful and fruitful relationship requires time. As our worship team comes up here, some of you, your flame is burning bright. Make sure you get around others and help them burn. Some of you, you need to fan the flame of faith that is in you. And you can't do that apart from time with the Lord. But finally, some of you may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ because you've never accepted him as Lord. You've never received and believed and you cannot you cannot glorify God. You cannot even expect or hope or even dream about going to heaven because there is no relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why I would say today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as in the day of rebellion. But the last thing I want to just put up, can you say like the psalmist, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere because you just want to be in his presence.
And when you're in his presence, there's fruitfulness. There's joy. And there's an overflow impacting others around you. Father, we thank you for this text of scripture, for Jesus' words to us. And Father, I pray for those that are saying, I need, I need to fan the flame of faith. And I just pray, Lord, as a deer pants for flowing streams of water, so their souls would pant for you, O Lord. And I pray for those that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior today. They would desire to be in your dwelling place, that they would receive you as Lord and Savior, that they would confess that you died on a cross in their place, you were raised on the third day. It's in Jesus' name I pray.